0: episode 26 of thief's monthly movie loot i hope everybody's doing good and have been enjoying the start of the holidays november just finished so we're going to talk about the final loot of films i saw during the month so let's do it
1: a film considered to be one of the worst
0: while you were still
1: learning how to spell your name i was being trained to conquer galaxies
0: When we attacked your planet,
1: all your soldiers and all their advanced technology could only put up a measly nine-minute fight before they were exterminated, which is why man is an endangered species.
0: November 16 was the International Day of Tolerance, so I wanted to put my tolerance to the test by watching a film that is considered one of the worst ever. I finally ended up settling for 2000's Battlefield Earth, and after watching it, I can now confirm that everything you've heard about this film is true. It is indeed one of the worst films I've seen, mediocre or just simply atrocious in almost any aspect, from the script and direction to the performances and the special effects. The film is set in a dystopian future where an alien race, the Cyclos, have ruled the Earth for 1000 years, while humans have reverted to their primitive ways. It follows Johnny, played by Barry Pepper, mostly known as the Sniper in Saving Pride Ryan, one of the few humans who refuses to give up and is brave enough to face the aliens. As a result, Terrell, played by John Travolta, captures him, along with others, to illegally mine gold for his own purposes, while Johnny and his friends organize a rebellion. Where to begin? Uh, The film is based on a 1982 novel from L. Ron Hubbard who, among other things, is known for being the founder of the Church of Scientology, which is probably why John Travolta, a known Scientologist, had sought to make the project for many years. For some reason, he was unable to obtain funding until it was picked up by an independent production company called Franchise Pictures, which brought the project to the light. If I were to say something good about the film, is that the film's dystopic premise is indeed interesting, but the execution from top to bottom is... Roger Christian's direction is amateurish in almost every level, highlighted by his frequent use of Dutch angles for almost every scene for no reason whatsoever, the editing is choppy as hell, the script is full of silly and cringing dozen lines, most of the performances feel lost and misguided, and the special effects are almost at asylum levels. Even if you wanted to watch this just for kicks with a so-bad-it's-good attitude, you wouldn't succeed. The film doesn't even manage to be funny, it's just awkward, mediocre, and boring. There's no other way to look at it. This film was horrible.
1: A film from Puerto Rico.
0: Ese es otro bello tipo de arquitectura. ¿Quién es? La mujer de Lorenzo el Barbero. Ahora que te advierto una cosa, no eres tú solo quien la mira. Es una exposición para todo el pueblo y un fomento para el turismo.
1: ¿Te ha causado gracia mi pregunta?
0: No, chico, lo que me llama la atención es el revuelo que
1: ella ha causado en el pueblo. Pues yo lo creo muy justificado. ¿Y el marido cómo es?
0: Podría ser su abuelo. Asmosopino, you know, I'm from Puerto Rico. In November 19, we celebrated the so-called discovery of our island, or rather Christopher Columbus' arrival, so I felt it was appropriate to watch a local film and more appropriate to discover something classic from here, and that I did. I chose 1959's Maruja, a film that was brought to my attention by my wife, so thanks to her. This is one of the first feature films filmed and produced here in Puerto Rico that achieved some level of popularity. It was also the first local film to be distributed by a major Hollywood studio in Colombia. The film follows the titular character played by Marta Romero, a young woman that everybody in town is smitten with, something that she takes advantage of despite being newly married to an older, humble barber. I think I talked about this some episodes ago when I discussed La Guagua area, but for numerous reasons, economical, sociopolitical, the film industry here hasn't been as successful or prolific as other Latin American or Caribbean regions. As a result, many local projects are often unfairly dismissed as lesser, There's an inherent low self-esteem about our own products, which might be the reason why I was pleasantly surprised by this, or perhaps it was really that good. The direction by Oscar or Quintana was for the most part clean and fluid, with some great choices in terms of shots, framing, cinematography, and missing scene. The story, despite some typical romantic melodrama of the era, also managed to be quite good and a bit ahead of its time, Despite being almost two hours, the film is engaging and the pace feels breezy. There are also a couple of twists toward the end that really caught me off guard. If I were to complain about anything, maybe the last act is a bit weaker, perhaps hindered a bit by the aftermath of one of those twists. The film loses a bit of its focus, but not enough to be derailed. The performances are mostly okay, with Romero being the standout, both Axel Anderson as one of her wannabe paramours also shines. What saddens me is the following, this film was released 60 years ago and despite all those positive things about it, how good it is, how it was produced and distributed, it barely gets mentioned here, let alone elsewhere. The only place where I could find it was on YouTube via some uploaded videos by some random movie fan like me, like it there have been tons of local films that have came and went with few or no support at all from everybody from the local media tv stations the government or sadly the audiences i like to give props to one of our top local critics, Juanma Fernández París, who told me that Maruja is indeed part of the syllabus he uses on one of his film courses. But still, as a proud Puerto Rican and a cinephile, I wish there were more efforts put in place to distribute and promote our art and culture. One can only hope.
1: A Film Noir
0: First, you have to have enough imagination to visualize the crime.
1: You're driving up the canyon your right arm around her neck. Uh, you get to a lonely place in the road, and you begin to squeeze. You're an ex-GI, you know judo, you know how to kill a person.
0: Go ahead, go ahead, bruh. Squeeze harder. November is known among some cinephiles as Bember, a month to honor what is film noir, so obviously I wanted to see one of them. I ended up checking out 1950s In a Lonely Place, which I had seen mentioned many, many times. The film follows Dixon Steele, played by Humphrey Bogart, a cynical down-on-his-luck screenwriter looking for a hit. When a young girl is murdered after visiting his home, he becomes a primary suspect to the police and to his neighbor and eventual romantic interest, Laurel, played by Gloria Graham. But is he really guilty? Did he do it? More important, could he do it? The film is based in a novel by Dorothy B. Hughes, but there is some controversy among fans of the novel, particularly with the changes to the character of Steele. Despite that, Hughes said she was not bothered by the liberties taken by screenwriter Edmund H. North, Since I haven't read the novel, I can judge how well the adaptation is, but anyway, I had heard mostly good things about the film, and for the most part, it didn't disappoint. The film has a solid story and script, full of great dialogue, which I think is one of its biggest assets. Like many Bogart films, the script is full of witty quips, and Bogart delivers them like no one else could. As for the plot, it is tense and interesting in the way that it keeps you guessing, and all of the members of the cast are at the top of their game, particularly Bogie, even though the film gives him enough of those creepy and sardonic lines I mentioned that we know him for, I was more impressed by the moments where he crosses the line into more darker psychological territory. Graham was just as good as she beautifully portrays the crumbling of a confident, stoic woman. In many ways, this film reminded me a bit of Hitchcock's suspicion, but ultimately better and more confident in its own story. If you're a noir or classic film fan, definitely a must-see.
1: A film from the 2000s.
0: you will be haunted by three spirits. That's
1: the Johnson hoop. I'd rather not. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one.
0: can not I take them all at once and have it over with, Jacob?
1: Expect the second the next night at the same hour, and the third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate.
0: For this category i saw 2009's a christmas cattle this one was an unexpected watch my wife had put it for the kids shortly after i got home from work so i decided to sit with them there's little changes to the well-known story but for those that have been living under a rock it follows wealthy and grumpy Ebenezer scrooge played by jim carrey as he is visited by three spirits that will teach him the value of christmas Considering that most people know the story and there are pretty much no surprises, I suppose that director Robert Zemeckis chose the stop-motion treatment to use the visuals to carry the film. In that aspect, the film was impressive, even on TV. The quality and detail of the animation is superb, and the way he plays with lights and shadows, I found that to be the main highlight. I thought carry was pretty effective, perhaps more restrained than I was expecting, However, there are a few moments where I think Semekis lets the film get away from his hands, particularly in the last act, perhaps in his effort to showcase the visuals in spite of the story. Overall, I don't think the film brings much new to the table, but if you like animated films and appreciate great visuals, maybe you'll appreciate this one.
1: A film about politics. Good evening. I shall resign the presidency at noon tomorrow.
0: American people need a conviction. I'd like to give Richard Nixon the trial he never had.
1: Are you really saying the president can do something illegal? I'm saying that when the president does it, that means it's not illegal.
0: I'm sorry. Just this category, obviously, because of the elections. I settled for 2008's Frost-Nixon. The film follows the before, during, and after of the famous interviews between British journalist David Frost and former U.S. President Richard Nixon, held in 1977. The interviews are framed in the premise that both Frost, played by Michael Sheen, and Nixon, played by Frank Langella, had something to prove to their peers, the country, and the world from Frost's apparent desire to prove that he's more than an entertainer, that he's a serious journalist, and Nixon's desire to try to elevate his legacy, how he'll be remembered, and prove that he's not a crook. For the most part, the film manages to be brisk and engaging with characters that are easy to connect with. Sheen does a great job in portraying Frost's insecurities and feelings of a fish out of the water, while Angela walks a fine line between making Nixon into a pensive, complex figure and a bit of an asshole. The supporting cast is rounded out by solid, if not underused performances from Sam Rockwell, Oliver Platt, Matthew McFadden, Rebecca Hall, and Kevin Bacon. I really appreciated the way director Ron Howard staged everything as if it was a boxing match, with each interview representing a round, even with each fighter being coached by their crew in their corner in between. However, Howard does take some liberties with some lines of dialogue, small but not subtle lines that seem to be thrown there to antagonize Nixon with the audiences, be it to make him seem like a racist, a chauvinist, or a money-growing crook. Despite that, taken at face value, it is, like I said, very engaging and entertaining.
1: A film about Thanksgiving Back in the 1500s, In the settlement of Kralberg, an old Indian by the name of Feathercloud was dishonored by a pilgrim. Feathercloud necromanced a... turkey. A turkey that would stop at nothing to get what he wanted. To kill. Everything's gonna be okay. You don't believe me, do you? I do believe you. There's no such thing as an evil turkey. (laughs)
0: I always say there's a time to eat caviar and filet mignon and there's a time to eat well turkey that time was a couple of days ago when i decided to check out 2008's thanks killing and it delivered what you would expect from a film about a possessed murderous turkey the film follows a group of friends each feeding the traditional slasher tropes the jog the good girl the slutty girl the party slash dumb guy and the nerd guy as they head home for their Thanksgiving break. However, they end up being terrorized by a cursed killer turkey that appears every 500 years. The film, which was made for $3,500, wears its low budget on its sleeve. There really isn't much of an attempt to hide it, but it does manage to play with its silliness fairly well. The direction and editing are very amateurish, and the performances are borderline cringy. However, the humor is solid, and the script lands a decent amount of jokes. There's a sequence where the turkey dons a costume that had me laughing out loud, which is the obvious intention. If you ever ventured into seeing this, I suppose you know what you'll get or what you're getting into. It is hardly a masterpiece, but it fulfilled its goal of keeping me entertained and not bored for an hour and a half.
1: A film from Palestine. <laughs> يا father, هذا is not اطلع of the car! The is 15
0: was the Palestinian Declaration of Independence. So I was looking forward to a film from Palestine I was browsing Prime and saw a 2017 film called Wajib was available. Went pretty much blind into it and I'm so glad I did. The film follows a father and son, played by a real-life father and son Mohamed and Saleh Bakri, as they spend a the day together fulfilling their Wajib, or duty, to deliver the invitations for the wedding of their daughter and sister. During their time together on the road, in traffic and visits, Many issues, conflicts, regrets, and past wounds among them come to the surface, forcing them to finally address them. This was quite a surprise. The film follows a very simple premise with a solid script and lets the actors handle the rest. And they do it so well. I found out that the leads were actually father-son in real life after I finished the film, but it figures cause their interactions were so believable and true. I also love how director Anne Marie Jasir didn't rely on gimmicks or political statements to get her point across, but still managed to pepper a good amount of socio political commentary all through. A pretty darn good drama all around, this one is strongly recommended.
1: A film from the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die list whose ranking includes the number 11. My family have always been interested in such things. Somewhere in the human mind, my dear Francesca, is the key to our existence.
0: My ancestors tried to find it. To open the door that separates us from our creator.
1: But you need no doors to find God. If you believe...
0: Believe? If you believe, my dear Francesca, you are gullible can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a god who rules it famine pestilence war disease and death they rule this world for this category i saw 1964's the mask of the red death Produced and directed by Roger Corman, and based on an Edgar Allan Poe short story, the film follows Prince Prospero, played by Vincent Price, a tyrannical ruler that seeks refuge from a deadly plague called the Red Death, inside his castle, along with a group of noblemen, while leaving the town's folk down to their own luck, but not before kidnapping a young woman, her father, and her lover, for the amusement of his guests. This one is one of eight adaptations of Poe's work made by Corman. I found this to be an odd bag of fun, mostly thanks to Vincent Price, who's at his scenery shoeing best. Corman's direction is also very effective and appropriate. His use of colors and light and the whole set and production design are pretty awesome. There's a subplot about a couple of dwarves that want to seek revenge against some of the nobles in the castle. If anything, i say that that story felt a bit out of place. I wasn't surprised to read later that it came from a separate short story. My other complaint will be with the characters of Gino and Ludovico, the father and lover that are kidnapped by Prospero, but the thing is that even though they're intended to have some prominence in the story, I don't think were that well used and executed. The truth is that I don't even think they were needed. This film rests solely on the shoulders of Price's performance and Corman's direction, and based just on that, I say it's definitely worth a watch. So that's it for the month of November. Overall, I ended up watching 17 films. My favorite first time watch of the month was Luz, which I discussed in the previous episode, but Wajib, which I discussed in this episode, would be a close second. As for the worst first time watch, that would easily be Battlefield Earth, which, like I said before, was just horrible. But moving on to December, these are the categories I have chosen for the last month of the year a film with the number 12 in its title, any film that starts with the letters W, X, Y, or Z, a film from the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die list, whose ranking includes the number 12, a film from the 2010s, a war film, a TV film, the last Best Picture winner you haven't seen, the last film from any deceased director you like, A film from the United Arab Emirates, a film with a prominent character with a disability, a film set in a mine or a cave, a film from Yasuhiro Osu, a film about children, a film with the word winter in its title, and a holiday or Christmas film. So as usual, if you have any recommendation for those, let me know. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at CGT or on Letterboxd as Steve 12 I also started a separate Twitter account for the podcast, which you can find at tmml 2021 Anybody can send recommendations of what to watch or just your thoughts on the podcast. Now it's time for
1: Useless Movie Trivia.
0: In Home Alone, Kevin watches a black and white gangster film titled Angels with Filthy Souls. Nowadays, most people know that this clip is not from a real film, but was rather filmed specifically for Home Alone. But in 2018, actors Seth Rogen and Chris Evans said on Twitter they didn't know it was fake. Not sure if that was real or just them joking. Anyway, the film's title is an obvious reference to Angels with Dirty Faces starring James Cagney. However, most people don't know that this was the first thing to be filmed, apparently because it only needed a cardboard set. Also, director Chris Columbus has said that the reason that so many people thought it was an actual old film might have been because of the technique used to film it. Home Alone is one of the last films shot with an old carbon arc lightning system, which was popular in the 40s and 50s. This technique actually involved putting a carbon piece of charcoal into the set lamps, creating a warmer and richer light. Another thing that most people don't know is that an early version of the script ended with Marv and Harry in prison, watching Angels with Filthy Souls with fellow inmates. And that was all for...
1: Useless Movie Trivia
0: So that's it for episode 26 of this monthly movie loot. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. We're preparing a lot of great things for 2021. So remember to follow so you can see what we have in store. Also share the links to the podcast so others can listen. That will be all. Have a happy week.
1: Hey, I tell you what I'm going to give you snakes. I'm going to give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly, yellow, No good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. (laughs) Keep the change, you filthy animal.